When asked what they want for their kids, most parents will say a few things, but one of them is inevitably that they want their kids to be happy. While happiness is easier to attain when you have options, when you can say yes to opportunities and aren't drowning in debt or financial worry. Today's show sponsor understands that better than most as he's a certified financial planner and the author of Now What? A Practical Guide to Figuring Out Your Financial Future. In his book, Brian Ursu helps us teach our teens and 20-somethings all they need to know about finances, starting with determining what role they want their finances to play in their life. He's designed the book to help fill the gap millennials have in their understanding of financial planning, especially how they can use it to reach their goals and build the life they want. You can learn more, get free chapters of the book, and order the book at brianursu.com, B-R-I-A-N-U-R-S-U.com. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. I want to thank you for being here today. We are going to be having a great conversation with our guest, with Brian Ursu, actually. And we're going to be talking about money and it's a, to me, it feels like a very different conversation than what people usually want to talk to me about when it comes to money. Because there are lots of people telling us to create a budget and live according to that budget, but there's so much more to our financial life than a budget. I want my kids to learn that their money is here to help them create the life they want. And I want them to be able to make intelligent choices that relieve the stress and anxiety in their life. Because you know what, as well as I do, money can be a problem. When you look at the statistics, it's one of the top issues in marriages. Money concerns are a big contributor to poor mental health. And yet it's something that many parents don't think about talking to their kids about or aren't comfortable talking to their kids about or feel like because they don't think they did a great job with their financial life, how would they teach their kid to do that? Or maybe we teach them, but we teach the basics and then we stop. Or we know what to do in general, but not how to navigate the shaky economy that we're in. But in order for our kids to be happy, successful, emotionally healthy adults, there are things they need to know about money so that they can make good choices in other areas of their life. Well, today, Brian is going to take us beyond budgets and show us what our kids need to know as they launch our lives. Brian Ursu is a certified financial planner who has helped clients meet their financial goals for more than 30 years. He's worked in large financial institutions at a major wirehouse brokerage firm and now in his own wealth management firm, Intentional Wealth Advisors, LLC. His focus is on education as well as client service. And today he's going to educate us about how we can help our kids and maybe even ourselves. So Brian, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Thanks, Sandy. It's great, uh, great being here. As we were chatting, you know, ahead of the show here, I am very excited uh, to talk to you about this because the book does not just say get a budget, follow your budget. And as I was going through it, it's answering all the questions that my twenty-somethings are having to deal with right now. 
which are quite frankly kind of exhausting for me. You know, all the information about so much more like, you know, insurance and health insurance, car insurance, life insurance, because as they go out and they start jobs, the companies are throwing all this stuff at them. And it's, it's pretty overwhelming. So I wish that I had done more when they were a little bit younger. And I am thrilled that I can hand over your book and go here. Here are all the deets. And mom doesn't have to have the responsibility of teaching it all. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm right there with you, Sandy. Um, this is my business. This is what I've done. And it wasn't until I started writing the book that I realized I'm, I'm like the shoemaker and the children. Um, I didn't pass any of this on or most of this on to my own children. And so once I started writing, that was the motivation and it became kind of like a love letter to my own kids. Um, these are the things that you need to know to figure out your financial future. And, and I don't presume that you need to get to riches or anything like that. This is a practical guide to figuring out your financial future. You figure it out, but this is the guide and whatever you want your financial future to be, uh, that's going to be yours. It's not mine. I don't have an idea on, on how that should be. And so these are the steps to do that. So I've, I'm right there with you. And, and I found that many of my peers are in the same boat where they, they have 20 somethings and they have no shortage of guilt for how um, ill prepared their, their grown children are. Yeah. And. I've talked on the show about certain financial things I do with my kids. I'm so happy with it. Worked out so great, but there was just more. There was more that I didn't think about, didn't know about, didn't necessarily take time to do. And I'm finding that your book is written in a way that is easy for our kids to take. It's not, it's not written in a juvenile way by any stretch of the imagination. It is written for a young adult or, or even a teenager, but I think it's very, um, I think the voice is very acceptable to our kids, kind of approachable. And I know that you said that this is your mission is to empower our kids and that you're doing that through this book. So one of the things that I thought was interesting is you said that the greatest part of wisdom and what defines success in almost any arena is reducing or eliminating mistakes. Why focus on mistakes when we're talking about their financial lives? It's, it's the low hanging fruit. So it's the easiest, like most people want to start with, okay, which stock do I invest in? Or when I get my 401k at work, which portfolio is best for me? That's where I can make the most ground. And I would say, wait, let's take a step back and try to eliminate as many of the mistakes that you possibly can. And, and these are not things that I'm just saying they're good for you. These are mistakes that, you know, unfortunately I learned the hard way, like credit cards. You know, I started getting those when I was in my twenties and I thought, you know, these, these people like me, they believe in me, you know, and, and cause mistakes by spending money on credit cards and then getting a, a point where you have to pay that down. And that distracts your life that now you have the, these debts. And so um, the secret to financial well-being is eliminating as many of those mistakes as you possibly can. So this is an interesting 
kind of an interesting thought, an interesting thread for me around mistakes because in most other areas of our lives, of our kids' lives, you know, as parents, we're going, we need to let them make mistakes and then figure out how to deal with it. And by the time they're teenagers, they should really just be making most of those decisions themselves. And when it comes to finances, they still need to make those decisions themselves, but I feel like they don't have nearly as many opportunities to practice through, you know, tween teen years as they do when they hit those early 20s. So the mistakes, like they could compound really quickly. You know, I'm, I'm watching my girls as they're in that phase of getting ready to move out of the house, which has been changed due to COVID, but, you know, pay, choosing an apartment, buying a car, all these questions from work about what kind, you know, life insurance and what kind of car insurance and, and buying the car and tax the car insurance and credit, like you said, credit cards. We managed to work through the college one, but I do want to talk about that a little bit. But it feels to me like there's this, this moment in time when they're moving out of our homes where there is a huge opportunity for them to make many mistakes and compound them to put them in a real financial hole. What do you see when you, as you talk to people and you're looking at that, do you see that same type of thing? Or is there maybe something that I'm missing that I, I need a little education on here? No, I think you've got it. And and I'm not telling you or your listeners anything that they don't know, but the most difficult part of parenting is allowing your adult children to make their mistakes and make their choices. And um, and we have wisdom and experience that, that they don't necessarily have, um, but you have to let them make those mistakes and learn. But what we would hope to have done in those tween years is foster an idea of um, I'm a trusted source of information. And when you are faced with, hey, I'm, I'm gonna buy a car, I never bought one before, dad, you've bought them before, what what should I be thinking about? Or I'm going to get an apartment and, and they say I need first and last month rent and, and do I need insurance or are they covering the insurance? Having those conversations about adult things and, and finances, in those tween years will lead to more trusting conversations um, when they do move out of the house. So you're not just the parent, now you are also a source of information that has their best interests at heart in the ideal world. So Brian, you already kind of told on yourself a little bit in that you said, you know, you, you wish you had taught your kids more of this and you have four sort of five kids, you have four and one that you've taken under your wing um, as an exchange student, of all the lessons, of all the things that you did teach them, didn't teach them, do you think, do you feel like there's one that is most impactful for kids as a whole? Boy, that you're putting me on the spot, but um, debt is probably the most impactful and whether that's credit card debt or consumer debt, um, trying to minimize and eliminate that as early as you possibly can um, provides all kinds of opportunities uh, for them to have flexibility to move around and, 
in their world um, later on. And so that would be the area, again, one of the areas that is the low hanging fruit that would be the easiest mistakes to fall into would be getting too much in debt. Well, and that makes sense. And I know that as an adult, I've seen that where when we didn't have debt, we had more choices. When you have debt, that ties you down and you don't have as many choices. And it's going to be the same for our kids. What are some of the traps you see them falling into when it comes to creating that debt? What, what causes them to create this consumer and credit card debt? Yeah, it, and, and here I, I, I hope I'm not offending any of your listeners, but um, too often our young people go to college after school and then they just accumulate more and more student loan debt without an end game or without a, a career path on the other end for which to pay for all of that debt. And so the average student is coming out with, you know, thirty or forty thousand dollars of student loan debt and and at really high interest rates. So that sets them up for um, a really tough hill to climb to get out of in their 20s and into their 30s. The other area is they they get their first job and they start spending money and they want to have the lifestyle, continue the lifestyle that their parents got them accustomed to. Um, what they don't know is that their, their parents oftentimes didn't start out right where they are at that point. And they maybe had an apartment with, you know, very little furniture and maybe they, they ate TV dinners. Um, they didn't go out to fancy restaurants or, or whatever it is. So that's the other area that we see a, a common mistake is young people wanting to maintain the lifestyle with which they've become accustomed and, and not be willing to sacrifice that at all. So taking on debt to get to that lifestyle. So I had two things that came to mind when you were talking about that. One is family stories. I know our kids have heard stories from the grandparents even more so than from their parents. Although we, we always share about my husband, and I joke about our first house and our, how we decorated it in early American attic and basement <laughs> and whatever any family members had that they didn't need in terms of furniture is what we had in our house and things didn't go together. You had the orange and brown chairs and golden blue sofa that are- I think I live house. there. <laughs> so they hear those stories. They hear their grandparents telling the story about little house they lived in where there was like a mushroom growing out of the baseboard and just all these things. So I think that just hearing those stories can help our kids without being told and taught lessons, but it can remind them that, you know, this is how it starts and, and it's, it's good and it's okay to do these things and to, to have your life be a little bit different. Um, the other thing that I thought about is this idea of sacrifice. What kinds of sacrifices are you talking about when you say, you know, our kids don't necessarily, they want to continue this lifestyle they've had and not make any sacrifices. What are some of the things that are common for them to not want to sacrifice? I think a, a car or automobile is, you know, one area that, you know, 
that they they want to have a very comfortable car or a spacious apartment. Um, and when they do go through that budget sheet, those are some really high um, pricey items in the monthly budget. And that's also an area in which you could um, free up and make more discretionary income by just making some different choices. And, you know, for, for young people it might be get into a smaller apartment or now with so many um, opportunities with Airbnb or something like that, maybe you rent a room. Um, that's a, an option. So you can save some money and get to a down payment on a house or a place of your own or try to figure out where you want to live. So those are some areas that you could make some sacrifices. Maybe owning a car doesn't make sense. And maybe, um, you know, you find other ways to, to get around, whether it's Uber or Lyft or, um, or a bike or something, depending on where you live. Those are some of the areas that, that we can make sacrifices in. And then, you know, it's the latte factor and all of those other gym membership, those kinds of things. Um, those are also low hanging fruit in areas that, that you could save some money on. I love that term, the latte factor, because you don't realize it. That was one of the things just for me, I don't know, it was about a year ago. I don't even remember why I started paying attention to it, but all of a sudden I realized that I just, I was stopping for gas and I was picking up whatever, but you know, I was picking up a little munchy thing here or a drink there or my chai latte or whatever, but it was all these little expenditures. And not that I can't choose to do that, but I looked at it and said, I would rather go do something. I'd rather do a day trip with one of my kids once a month than be consuming these drinks <laughs> as I'm just running around town. And for sure, or or get the drink, but not every day, right? So, you know, you you like a certain drink and it's six dollars and fifty cents. But I I'd, I'd say that that's excessive. Um, I'll, I'll be right out and say it. Um, but it's okay to treat yourself every once in a while. Be excessive. Make that a special thing, right? So on a special occasion, something great happened. You want to celebrate that? Well, then that's the time to go get that six dollar and fifty cent drink. But not every day, because that that will um, that's taking money away from your future self and your future goals. You talk about that in your book too. So, can you talk to us a little bit about this idea of your future self? So there, there's a a Seinfeld episode, or maybe it's a stand-up routine where he talks about night guy and morning guy. Night guy is the guy that 11 o'clock says, yeah, let's go to another club. And it makes sense. And then midnight comes around and you don't think about morning guy's responsibility of getting up in the morning and having to go to work. That's morning guy's problem. And so I look at your current self and then your future self you need to be kind to your future self and give them every advantage that you possibly can. And it's hard to think about your future self, but trust me, it'll be there before you know it. And one of the, I think I talk about it in the book, one of the experiments that I found so interesting was when somebody started a new job and were considering their 401k contribution, they had the, the participant use a Snapchat app or some kind of app that would age them. When they saw their self in, in, um, in their older years, they increased their contribution by a huge margin. 
So when we can picture what we might look like, it had an actual impact on the amount that they were to uh, contribute to their retirement account. It's crazy. So that's what I, I think is so important. Be kind to your future self. I just had these visions of like having my kid put on a wig and trying to, you know, age their <laughs> face a little bit so they could look in the mirror and go, hey, this is you because I don't have an aging app to, <laughs> to share with well, them. But I guess you're right on Snapchat. You could probably do Snapchat it. Snapchat does it. And, you know, I don't look good as an older person, but I'm sure your <laughs> listeners are going to look amazing. Well, that was one of the things I did with my girls to motivate them to open up uh, Roth IRAs when they first started working is not look at themselves, but I sat down with them and ran that old standby of what happens if I, if you put away a thousand dollars a year from, you know, starting at age 20 versus for you, I'm sorry, starting at 20, put away a thousand dollars a year for just 10 years. And then the alternative scenario is starting at age 30, you put away a thousand dollars a year, every year, until you turn 65 and you actually have more money doing it for 10 years than you do when you do it starting at age 30. And they were all over that. <laughs> they went, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is great. But it's, and, th and that is that, that idea is the cost of procrastination. And, and I am plugging the book here. It's on page 24 in the book. Um, and I think if you go to the website, you can download, download the first four chapters and that's included in there. You will see the table. The first time I saw that, Sandy, was over 30 years ago. My mind was blown. I'm like, there has to be a trick because this doesn't make any logical sense. Um, and so I, I took out my calculator and I did the math longhand and did it from age 20 to 65. And it actually worked. So it is magic. Um, Einstein said compounding interest is the eighth wonder of the world. And he probably saw a chart very similar to this. All right. And this is the same thing, right? My mother taught me that when I was a kid. Like she taught me all these financial lessons. I tried to add on for my kids. My experience right now with my kids and your book have shown me all the places that I missed. So I tell them, I'm like, if you have kids, it's your job to do an even better job. <laughs> so which generation <laughs> does better? However, yes, there is the magic of compounding interest. And our economy is, as you said yourself, when we were talking, you said it's shaky and things feel so different. What do we need to take into account in terms of our current economy? Well, I mean, there are a lot of distractions right now, and there will always be uh, a lot of distractions. Um, whether that's you know the election that that just happened or or it's the the coronavirus or it's the financial crisis or whatever but we have to think long term and that's um also in the first chapter is to think long term and when we do that those distractions become just blips on on the um on the radar screen, it's it's not really as big of an issue as we would like to think it is. And so there will be a time, I don't know when it will be, it's gonna be sooner than people are prepared for, that the pandemic will be behind us and we will be comfortable enjoying each other's company, traveling, going to concerts and venues, having dinner together and, and not being scared that we're gonna catch a disease and die. That will happen at some point. And so, 
that's what we have to think about is the other side of this and whether it is the pandemic or some future financial crisis, we will get through it and, and we'll be better on the other side. All of this, I think, ties in really well with the concept you have in the book of sustainable living. And I really appreciate the terminology that you use around that, especially for this generation. There are so many of our kids who are very concerned, very worried about the environment. And it's you're not talking to them about living on a budget and the I guess the traditional wording that I hear that always feels kind of heavy, even though I am kind of a budgety person, it it still feels heavy when you use that when people use that terminology. But this idea of sustainable living really resonates with me. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. It, and it starts with something so basic and fundamental that it's almost laughable. But don't spend more than you make. Right. That's that's pretty basic. That's sustainable, right? So if, you, if you're not the, the federal government and you're not, um, you can't spend more than you make because you can't print money and you'll take on debt and it will be, it'll bury you and, and it's not sustainable. So um, that's the first step. And then, you know, creating habits and lifestyle that are lasting and are sustainable is super important. Um, and there may be seasons of your life where, okay, this is where we're going to borrow more money than normal, or this is where we're going to spend more money than normal, but this is a season and it will pass. But otherwise we have the sustainability. But the other um, part of sustainable investing is really what you hit on with, with the environment. Millennials and Gen Z are really deeply dialed into um, finances and wanting to do good. And in fact, there was a survey that was done. Two thirds of them would be willing to take the ups and downs of the market if they knew that their money was doing good. And so there's a, an aspect of sustainable investing and investing in things that are important um, and sustainable and uh, do not violate the social concerns that you have. And Again, there's a chapter in, in the book about that, um, basically sustainable investing or socially responsible investing. And that can be a way to help them get excited about something that maybe they aren't so excited about. I have one child who has crazy spreadsheet that I couldn't even figure out how to use with all these things linked back and forth from one page to another. And I don't even know how she's how she set that up, how it functions. And I have another one who is like, I wish money didn't exist. <laughs> wish we could just live our lives and not have to deal with this. And so when you have a kid who's not so interested in it, that could be a way then of helping them find, find their interest is, well, what are they interested in? And how can you tie that into, in this case, their investing or car choices. Again, going to, hey, you know, if you, if you choose the quote unquote lesser vehicle, you'll have this extra money that you can then do good with in whatever way it is. Or this discussion about making choices that keep us from going into debt means that maybe you can take a period of time and where you don't need to work and you can go and do a stint in the Peace Corps or, or go do some other work that you think is important 
that isn't going to pay you. And in fact, you may have to pay to get yourself someplace or to support yourself while you're doing that work. But those options and those opportunities aren't open to our kids if they didn't have the knowledge to make good financial choices up front. That's exactly right. And, and you know, other books in this for this market are focusing on on accumulating material wealth. It, many of them are, and, and I don't think that that's the end goal, nor it should be. Um, if it is your goal, that's great, but that's your goal, and so that's why it's a practical guide to figuring out your financial future. So if you want to be in a position ten years from now to take a year off, take a gap year of life and serve your country or serve somewhere in the Peace Corps, do something else. Well, let's figure out how to do that because that's noble, that's exciting. And that is something that can motivate a person to take action and avoid mistakes. But that's that's your life. Yeah. So it's getting back to we've talked about on other shows and, and I'll I'll add a couple of the shows to the resources like finding your true north and whatnot when we tap into understanding what our kids passions are what is important to them now we can help them use that to set themselves up financially and for you know we're talking about sustainability doing good maybe they want to start a business maybe they want to uh, learn a new skill and they want to take time off from whatever they're quote unquote, current work would be and, you know, have the opportunity to do something else or have the option of changing careers at some point. I know there are kids who just like the, the feeling of space around having options. And when you don't take care of your finances, well, you don't have as many options or you may not really have any options. Yeah. And there, there's a, I read a lot of books. There was a book by Dr. Ken Dykewald. I think it's called The Power Years. And he talked about this idea of retirement and how it's evolving. So, um, Sandy, maybe you're close to the same age as myself, but my, the way we were taught about it is it's very linear. This is your education period. This is your career period. This is your 100% leisure period. And there were three distinct periods of time. And what he's saying is in the future, and, and it's going to be largely different, driven by millennials and Gen Z, it's not going to be linear. It's going to be back and forth. And maybe I go back to school in my 40s to learn something else and I change a career. I reinvent myself and do something different. Maybe I take five years off and go do something else. And that's part of my leisure. And then I go back to my career. Um, that is so exciting to me. It is so exciting because the idea of permanent leisure, sitting on a rocking chair or playing golf uh, for every day, it's hard to get excited about that. It is. And I'm laughing over here because I'm like, oh, so my husband and I were just born too early because we reinvented ourselves in our 40s. And you know, stress relief coaching and helping moms find time for what matters most, not what my parents had in mind when I was in college getting a statistics degree. <laughs> it's just, but, you know, they didn't seem think to do of it the a podcast. Good work, <laughs> think of the good work you're doing by being open to that idea of reinventing yourself. That was a risk to leave what you knew to do something completely new and untested. 
But now think of the fruit that's come from that, the listeners that you have that follow your, your podcast and the impact that voice and that message has. It's, you know, that's super exciting. It is, as well as you know, all the other things that have happened. And I think that's been a, a huge impact on our kids to see. Now, they also saw the difficulties with that, mm. which, you know, your book would have helped with, honestly, because <laughs> I knew how to manage money within one environment. But as you said, people go through periods of fiscal change. And that was my husband leaving an engineering career and me starting this business. That was a huge change for us. And having the, the foundational financial literacy and financial knowledge helps to allow us to do things like that as, as a culture, as a people. It, it gives more space, more opportunity. But we're also finding that that's a, a secondary market for the, the book is um, people that find themselves in transition and it could be suddenly single due to death or divorce. Um, my spouse took care of all those things. I never had to pay attention to it. And, and now it's me and now what? And so um, whether you're 40 or 50 and just becoming financially aware for the first time, this will all make uh, sense to you. So it's not just um, millennials and Gen Z. It's for people that are finding themselves in a transition. Well, and I love the advice that you gave us just right here today, Brian, helping us see the, the, the low-hanging fruit that we have for helping our kids get a financial leg up is helping them to get a base understanding so they don't make a bunch of those compounded mistakes. And debt, avoiding debt, you said, is really kind of the number one thing. And if they feel like if, you know, if the family looks at it and feels that debt for a college degree is the path to go, but to be looking beyond that and helping them have a plan for managing that. And then talking to them about choices that they're going to make as they're moving out and helping set their expectations around not just trying to continue the lifestyle they had, but thinking about their future self and going, okay, this is how much money you have coming in. Don't spend more than you make. And maybe think about making some sacrifices for your future self so you can save a little bit more money so you can have more options later. And then lastly, tying in their wants, their, de their desires, their needs, what they see as being important in their life, whether that is volunteering, giving back, the environment, sustainable living, in, in other ways, um, having the choice of making career changes, but how that taking care of future self will give them more options. And I really appreciate you spending this time with us here today. For anyone who wants to learn more or would like to get um, some information from you, or I you know you have a free guide, can you share your website and tell them what they can get there? Sure. It's myname.com. Um, so B-R-I-A-N-U-R-S-U dot com and on there um there would there would be resources like the budget worksheet like the first four chapters and and i would recommend that you download those first four chapters for free and and read them um because the voice is unique it is mine if you find it off-putting you're probably not going to like the rest of the book but um and then and then save your money um but if you do like it if it, if you can resonate with that then you'll like the rest of the book 
Um, it's designed to be approachable and make it easy and empowering for you to uh, take action in your own life. So start by going to the website. Well, thank you, Brian, for bringing this information here today, for sharing, like I said, the, these points, helping us see what we can really do to give our kids a great leg up. I appreciate your candor here. Thanks, Sandy. It was a great time. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed the podcast, if you learned something or you know a parent who would benefit from it, then please share it with another parent. Also remember, go to brianursu.com and grab the first four chapters in the personal monthly budget worksheet. And just thank you for being here, for joining us today and being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, if you're here, if you're listening, you are a Mighty Parent. You got this. And I will see you next week.